Thank you, everybody, for having me. Happy New Year soon, right? That's uh, tonight, and I want to be uh, back home in San Antonio. I'm so glad I'm only two and a half hours away, so can we just come up and say hi and uh, be family this close? I told uh, the service, I think, before and last night, like, if you don't have anything to pray about or, like, put on your prayer list for 2018, uh, you do now. Pray for us. We need it. And so we launched in three weeks, and uh, Rise Church in San Antonio will be in the northwest side. If you want to help, one of the best ways you can do to help is just tell, some, tell someone, a friend you might know might be in San Antonio, say, hey, go check out this guy who talks too fast and dresses kind of funny. So just go check him out. And so it's uh, awesome because uh, what's being around so, so many spiritual family in Texas, we got churches in uh, Houston, we got churches in Dallas, North, you know, North Dallas. I know Pastor uh, Jeff Little's been here before. Um, we just got, I mean, and Pastor Matt Benson, he's in Longview. So, I mean, there's just so many great family around in Texas. Uh, I think we have influence from just about everybody in our church. And so uh, if you know anybody, just send them that way. But uh, man, so glad to be here. Want to give honor real quick to your pastor, uh, man, who's, I think, a genius. Every time I talk to him, I tell my wife this. I'm not kidding you. You can tell her because she'll, she'll tell you the truth. Like every time I get off the phone with your pastor, I'm like, I just got off the phone with a genius because uh, he's, I mean, I'm just telling you like the way his mind thinks and how he is with stuff. And I travel to a ton of churches. So I can't say that about everybody, but your pastor is amazing. And so uh, he's helped us tremendously in any of the stuff that uh, any of the blessing we have there is really, uh, really a huge, huge contribution out of all the guys who have helped us. He has been the single most help. And so I'm honored just to be here preaching on his behalf in his pulpit and uh, love him and Miss Kyla. She's amazing. And in her own right, she's just genius. And so she, uh, y'all are blessed. That's all I'm just saying. Y'all are blessed. And I hope you know that. And so uh, excited to be here. I'll talk a little bit more about him in my message a little later on. But uh, Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 22, if you brought your Bible. If not, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to put uh, the scriptures up on the screens. But before we get there, Luke chapter 22, just so you know, if you're not a Christian or if you maybe just started to sing in the Bible, the Bible's broken up into the Old Testament, the New Testament. In the New Testament, uh, there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the book we'll be in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is four Gospels of the life of Jesus. And um, they're really just talked about what he did while he was on this earth. And Luke chapter 22, the context of that is he's kind of towards the end of his ministry. So Jesus was uh, lived here in this earth 33 years, three years of it, the last three years of his life. He had a ministry. He walked around. He preached. He healed. He teached. He was the man of the hour. He had all the Twitter followers. He filled up all the Colosseums. He was amazing. And um, what he did in those last three years changed the course of human history. And we see in Luke chapter 22, he uh, was actually in the toughest, most uh, roughest part of his life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally translated means press. It was where they would press the olives to create olive oil. And it was that both figuratively and literally that uh, there was a place where people, if you looked all throughout scriptures, it would be called the Mount of Olives, the Valley of Kidron. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It was a place of burning, of pain, of hurt. It was symbolizing the toughest moment of his life. So we pick up Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Verse 39, it'll be up on the screen. It says, And he came and went out, was his, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Again, the Valley of Kidron or the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples followed him, so he didn't go alone. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray. Everybody say, Pray. Yeah, prayer is important. Again, if you're going to pray for anything, put. Rise, church, on your prayer list. So pray uh, that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. You're going to have to learn that word as a Christian because there will be times when you walk up into your life with your Christian walk and the enemy attacks or somebody comes up against you and you're going to have to eventually say, God, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there were appeared to him an angel of heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and sweats. his sweat became like 
like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, that, tell me how that would be pretty stressed out. I have five young boys. I have five of them. Five. Cinco. Five. I've been stressed out, but never that stressed out. So blood to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? What are you doing? I thought you were here for me, and now you're here for you. And you're sleeping. Wake up. Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You like how I did that? Rise. Rise, church. Anyway, um, while he was still speaking there, came a crowd and a man called Judas. Now, you know Judas. You don't even have to be a Christian. and You know who Judas was. Judas was the guy who betrayed Jesus. Ain't nobody like Judas. You don't even name. Nobody knows and names their kid Judas because he was jacked up. And so one of the 12 was leading them, and he drew them near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, what are you doing, man? That's messed up. We only kissing. I know you jerk. And so he said, Jesus said to him, why would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who around him saw that would follow, said, Lord, shall we strike him with the sword? Now, I like this because this is Peter. We find out later in other gospels that this is Peter. Now, I think Peter's a lot like my family. He's like my cousin. He's walking around with blades. He's got a sword, you see? He's like, what, what, are, we do, what are we doing? He's got to be Mexican like me. And so he's got a blade. And so when one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, and Jesus says, why did I bring you, Peter? You're the worst, embarrassing me. He said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Jesus gives us some insight to the maybe the toughest moment of his life. And um, I don't know about you, but like 2017 has been pretty tough. You know, as you reflect back on the year, it seems to me that, well, because you're a human and you live with a bunch of crazy people. And if you don't believe me, just, you know, go to Walmart for five minutes. It's just nuts. It's right. It's just chaos in this world and and you know I don't know I just I need to know how to get through it to my miracle you know and you might be in an area right now where you're in the garden you might be in that point where you're just like I'm stressed out and I don't know how to get to Sunday but God if you can show me I, I think I can do it so I thought today maybe I would just talk a little bit about this idea of faith this idea of like, what is it? What do you do? What do you do? Like, what do you do? Because you you might be a Christian, but it doesn't exempt you from problems. So, like, what do you do when you come up against the thing that stresses you out so much? You're bleeding. So, if you're wounded in here, you're in the right place at the right time. All right, just just look at your neighbor and say, "You're on time." Just look at him. Just randomly pick someone. It doesn't matter. All right, there you go. You're on time. All right. And uh, with that as our backdrop, Luke chapter 22, uh, we're going to pray. God, we love you. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, God. We, we have freedom and victory in you. We know that today we can learn something about you. We can hear your voice. We can follow in your footsteps, God, not because we're good, but because you're good. And so, God, I pray that you would take the words that I prepared and transform them to the hearts of the people. Holy Spirit, speak to us today, God. And, Father, we just pray for the Son to come out in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen, amen. I'm from California. I can't handle this. This is crazy. This is why I moved to Texas. It needs to be warm. So anyway, um, how many of y'all ever been uh, in, in uh, high school sports? Anybody play high school sports? Raise your hand if you've played high school sports. You know, high school sports is funny because like, you have people who played high school sports and then you have athletes, right? Like there are those who des- were like, it would seem to me, maybe it's just me, it would seem that there are some people who were just called 
physically to do some things that were active. I was not that person. I was the guy who was in sports because I think they felt sorry for me. And so I was able to get in it, And uh, but I had a coach. And when I found out about coaches, coaches love to use cliches. Now, y'all, y'all know what a cliche is. What's a cliche? Y'all know what a cliche Cliche is something that's true, but it's just played out. It's said too many times. We know it's it's what it is, but they're cliches for a reason. And so in sports, there's a lot of cliches. And then we're going to have a little like participatory church moment here. This is where you don't have to be quiet. It's kind of cool. So you get to talk. So like, um, I, I, we'll have, I'll start the beginning of it and you finish it. And it's a cliche because you know it. So how about this one? This is, this was kind of, this was kind of fun. No pain, no yeah, you know it because it's a cliche. You know it already, right? And, I, and they say that in sports, that if you're not putting something into it, and if you don't have some type of pain, you're not going to gain something. And I thought that had only thing to do with sports, and then, you know, I got married. And so no pain, no gain. Um, uh, then, uh, okay, here's another one. There's no I in, in team. Yeah, there's no I in team. You know, I used to... My coach used to say it all the time, and I was like, listen, coach, but there isn't winning. Come on, give me the ball. Come on. You know, I'm giving it to that dude over there who can't you don't even know what a ball is. So no, no, no I and team. Um, here's another one. It's not whether you win or lose. It's what? It's how you play the game. You know who created that, that statement? Yeah, losers. That's Losers created that statement, all right? It's not how you play. You play to win the game. I'm sorry. That's just the way that it is. And, I, you know, when I play Monopoly with my boys, it's, it's, I don't hold back. It's not like, you know, it's, I'm doing them a favor, you know, by destroying them and putting hotels on boardwalk. You know what I'm saying? And then I take all their money and I got it. Anyway, so pray for my boys. One of the uh, cliches that he used to say to me, though, was you begin with the end in mind. Begin with the, the end in mind. I, I had a wrestling coach, and, and uh, I remember I got one year, I got to wrestling in varsity. And in varsity wrestling, what they would do is they would take a big gym, they would take all the mats out, turn all the lights off, put one light right in the middle of the mat, and then the crowds were on each side. And then the way wrestling works is you have weight classes. And so you would be school against school, and you'd start with the lightest weight all the way up to the heaviest weight. And that's typically what I was because I was kind of chunky when I was in high school. And so it, I was like, you know, you but before any of the matches start, they run you out to meet your opponent and show the crowd who you're going to wrestle. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm going to go out there and intimidate this guy. My coach is like, go out, Aaron. Come on. Begin with the end in mind. I'm chest bumping people. We're running. I'm like, run out there. I'm going to intimidate. I'm going to squeeze this guy's hand. So I run out and I'm waiting for him. I'm like, where is this dude? And it was so dark, I couldn't see him in a distance, you know. So he's coming up. And I don't know if you guys ever done this when somebody runs up to you and they're like, the closer they get, your head starts to do this. And you just start to, and he get, the closer he gets, he gets closer, closer, closer. He gets taller, taller, taller. I'm like, oh, this dude is not a teenager. He does not go to high school. They found him. He's an adult. This is a man, you know, and he comes over to me, and, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. He looked like the guy. Uh, y'all ever seen Rocky? Uh, I don't remember what it was, like Rocky 2 or 5 or 25 or something. It was Drago. Was it 3? The big Russian dude? You know what I'm talking? That's what he looked like, and I promise you I heard under his voice when he came up to me. He goes, I must break you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna, you're, you're dead, you know, and I was like, okay, I don't care. So I stuck my hand out. I'm like, come on. Drago, and I put my hand out. And you ever, uh, when you were a kid, do you remember when you put your hand in your dad's hand and it felt like it just engulfed it? That's what it felt like. And I didn't care. I just, because I'm a teenager and so teenagers do crazy things. So I just put my hand, I squeezed hard, and he smiled. And then he squeezed my hand. And I, oh, I remember hearing like bones crack, you know, like pops in your hand, you know. I'm like, oh, I kind of, my knees buckled a little bit. And he was so happy because he knew he had me. And so I ran back to the coach and I said, coach, here's the deal. I'm going to die. 
yeah, I'm going to die. This is it. Like, you don't understand. This is it. Like, you need to tell my mom I love her because I'm not going to make it out of this. And he's like, no, Aaron, you're going to do this. Begin with the end in mind. You're going to make it. You're going to win. Visualize an attack. I'm like, all right. I'm, you know, high-fiving and we're ready to go. And it becomes my turn. They call my name and I run out there. And, and then, you know, when I woke up on the bench, um, I asked my coach. I said, coach, what happened? Like, did, did I win? And he walked up to me and said, Aaron, listen, if you ever have to ask if you won, Brother, you didn't win. And I was like, oh, thanks, coach. Begin with the end in mind, you know. And why do I say that, that silly story? Anytime I think about, like, the Christian walk, I always think, like, what's the point? Right? Because, like, Christians aren't dumb. We're not supposed to be ignorant. We don't just follow something for no reason. Like, what's the point of being a Christian? The point, Scripture would say, First Thessalonians talks about this. Actually, Paul talks about this. He admonishes us to... Live in a way that pleases God. So that begs the question, how do we please God? You go back to other parts of Scripture where it says that the, that, that the just shall live by, by faith, but that it's faith. That you, that's it. Without this thing called faith, it's impossible to, to do what? Again, what's our point? To please God. So if we need this thing called faith to please Him, then we must know what faith actually is. So just a working definition of faith, because faith is one of those things that, depending on the denomination you came from or your background you came from, it either celebrates faith or it destroys faith or doesn't talk about faith or maybe makes this thing called faith ethereal, like it's something that you don't really understand, but you say it and you just believe it and you don't even really get it. So I'm just going to give you a biblical, simple definition of what faith is, working definition for all of us. Faith at its simplest. If, you can write, if you're taking notes, write this down. Simply, faith is this. It's agreement with God. It's that if God said it, you can bank on it. He is who he said he was and can do what he said he can do. It's not hope. Like you can hope to win the lottery. You don't have faith to win the lottery. God didn't say you were going to win the lottery. You can hope and believe and, and do whatever you want. But to have faith, faith takes God saying it and then you agreeing with it for your miracle on your behalf. And here's what I know, that most of us, if we're caught in our Garden of Gethsemane, so Garden of Gethsemane happened on Thursday, the resurrection happened on Sunday, which was the miracle. It was what Jesus did on Thursday that allowed him to get to his miracle on Sunday. And if you're going through something right now, you're bleeding and you're frustrated. Maybe 2017 left you with a hole, maybe left you with some wounds, maybe left you with some things. You don't want to go into 2018 feeling like you're going to be stuck in the Thursday for the rest of your life. For you to get to your miracle, it's what we do in the garden with our faith that produces the miracle on the other half of it. So if you want your miracle to happen in 2018, I think the best thing we can do is utilize faith to catch the attention of God because it's the currency of the kingdom. Because I don't know about you, if you've ever been in an issue and have a moment and you're praying, what you're trying to do is catch the attention of God. And the way you do that is through faith. I'll prove it to you. Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to go there. I'll tell you what happens. Jesus starts his ministry. He gets done with preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. It's a sermon on the mount. He comes down from the mountain. The first person he sees and encounters is a, is a person who is a leper, who has a skin, flesh-eating disease. Now, this, in those times, lepers were never touched. They were never talked to. In fact, they had no friends, no people, no community. And when they walked around people, they would scream unclean. Now, how would you like to have that? All of your sin put on front street. And as everybody time you walked around somebody, they go, unclean! Because that's literally what it was. And so Jesus encounters the leper. The leper asks Jesus, Jesus, will you heal me? And Jesus does something miraculous. He reaches out and touches somebody who has never been touched in maybe years. 
and heals them. Side note, lesson to those who might be so religious and so clean where you feel like you can't go out and touch those who are unclean. That's free, not even in my notes. Second, Jesus goes after healing the leper, after he touches the leper, he goes to the very next person he talks to is a centurion soldier, a pagan man who did not believe in the things of Jesus, who did not, what did not proclaim to be a Christian, walks up and says, I have a friend who's in my company and in my charge who is sick. Will you heal him? Jesus says, bet, let's go. Where's he at? I want to. Where is he at? Take me to him. And the guy goes, no, 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 Jesus, I get it. I get this whole thing. You're under, I understand authority. I have guys who do what I tell them to do, and I understand that you have authority over sickness, disease, and death. Just speak it, and then he'll be healed. And guy go, Jesus goes, I thought it's so fun. It's just amazing to me. Jesus goes, mate, you're not even a Christian. I have never even seen. He says, I've never seen such obedience. No. I've never seen such biblical depth. No. I've never seen such truth. No, no. I've never seen such, what's our word today? Yeah, faith. Because he said it was, it was your faith. He goes, it, it is, because you, you, you believe. I said I was a healer. You just combined your faith with my faithfulness, and now there's miracles. The very next chapter, Matthew chapter 9, again, catching the attention of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is walking through a crowd. He's taking pictures, people, paparazzi, everything around. There's a crowd around him, and there's a woman who has an issue of blood for years, been bleeding. Again, if you're bleeding, this is important to you. Been bleeding, been hurting, been in pain, been in agony, can't figure it out, can't buy her way out of it, can't fix her way out of it, can't pray her way out of it. She gets into the presence of Jesus, and she fights through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment. The seat seat was what they called the seat seat of the rabbi, which was his authority, that represented his authority inside that area. As soon as he touched it Jesus goes what in the world just happened somebody just touched me who just who just you know what he was saying who just agreed with my power who who just they're healed and the Bible says that she was healed in that moment yet faith grows on faith grows on faith because why because it it catches the attention of God you want to know why because very few people live by faith and it's an American epidemic because you know what? We're so blessed in this country. It's not a bad thing. We just, it just is. We're so blessed. We don't really have to live by faith. Like I want enough money in my account where I don't have to believe for God for my food tomorrow. It's not a bad thing. It just is. So for us, when we have to live by faith, it feels uncomfortable. Like, God, I can't believe you for that. I need to know and where it's at. Before I go and do that, you got to see the whole plan. Uh, just me? And so, but, but if we're going to please God, we, we got to live by, by faith. If you're going to get to your miracle, it's going to take a certain kind of faith, a Jesus-like faith to get you to that. So in the time we have left, I'm going to walk you through just the characteristics of Jesus-like faith from Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 kind of outlines what Jesus' faith looked like. It's what got him from Thursday to Sunday to a resurrection Sunday where he was high and lifted up. Miracles happened in his life, and he showed us how to have it happen in our life. Number one is this, collective faith. Collective faith. Go back in the scriptures. You can look. He says, and he came out and went, as was his custom in the Mount of Wall. So he went to his toughest test, toughest trial, toughest moment, and the disciples followed him. Now, here's what is confusing to me. This is Jesus, God on earth, wrapped in flesh. He goes to his toughest moment with someone, teaches us one thing. If we, if Jesus, God, can't go to his toughest trial alone, we shouldn't go to our toughest trial alone. Like, 
How silly are we to think that we're strong enough? Like how, if he couldn't do it alone, he chose not to do it alone, we shouldn't try to do it alone. Because small faith says it's like there's a power in collective faith. Small faith talks about it, it, the opposite is true. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and the Bible literally says that the hand of God was limited. His healing power was limited because of their collective lack of obedience, no, Bible knowledge, no, trust, no, they didn't serving up. No, it was their collective lack of faith that hindered the hand of God. Yet you move to Mark chapter two, when there was a, a, a man who was crippled, who couldn't get to the feet of Jesus. Jesus was preaching in a house and they broke open the roof and lowered him in front of the feet of Jesus. And it was their faith. It was the men's faith. It was the people that they surrounded himself with that brought him to Jesus, that got him to his miracle. Which means this, there might be some things in your life you will only get through if you have those around you who believe on your behalf. Like you're just not going to do it alone. And you've been praying and believing and trusting and being a really good Christian. And wondering, God, why, hasn't I, why haven't I found break? It could be that you don't have the right people around you that will believe for you on behalf, your behalf when you're saying, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. There's no way the God's going to do this. And somebody comes up and goes, that's okay. Borrow my faith. You're going to do it. I remember when I first moved to uh, San Antonio in April, and we were there, and uh, we got there, and it was like, I don't know, maybe I'm just silly, but like, I really felt like when I moved to San Antonio, there was going to be streets lined with paraded people and banners, like streamers and stuff, that had said like signs of going, welcome, Pastor Aaron! We've been waiting for you. Hooray. And it never happened. In fact, like the opposite was true. I never felt so much, you know, just demonic attack and oppression and depression and oppression and all the shuns and that are negative. And like you're, you, you just, you're in the moment of your greatest trial and I'm like sweating blood. I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. I'm in pain wondering what in the world did I just do? I left my pastor's church. Like pastor Eric is my pastor, which is your pastor's pastor. So like I left him. I was the executive there in a great job in a great church, just built a new house. Why on earth would I leave that comfort? I'm wondering, I'm going, I, I'm quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. This is it. I'm done. And um, see, this is personal to you, to you, like you personally. Because it was in those toughest moments that your pastor called me regularly to check up on me. And he goes, man, God, how are you? Oh, Pastor Stephen, I'm good. I'm good. And he goes, you're lying. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I want to quit. This is the worst. Church planning sucks. This is, this is, this is awful. Is Vintage Church hiring? <laughs> Pretty sure we can move there. And he's like, nope, not you. You got a plan. You got a destiny. That church has got a, a goal. 
There's, there's something that's going to happen. Lives are going to be changed. Of course, you got demonic attack and all that stuff. Absolutely. But you can do it, man of God. Don't worry. You're good. You're going to make it. You're going to do it. I believe in you. You're awesome. Just keep going. Don't quit. We're not going to let you fail. Here's some money. Here's some help. Here, go, go do this. Go help that. Go love your wife. Go. And it was all that speaking faith. It was his faith. It was collective faith that brought me to the feet of Jesus to where now the miracle of Rise Church is happening in three weeks. We have over 50 committed adults, like close to 90 with total with kids, which is an absolute miracle. We knew no one. I'm not from Texas. I'm not, I, know, I visited San Antonio one time in my life, and it was at the Riverwalk, which was kind of weird. But you do that because that's what tourists do. And I, I went, I knew no one, and God has shown up miracle after miracle. Why? Because I had a man of God, your pastor, in my life to say, I believe you. I believe in you. I, you can get there. You can make it. Don't give up. And I guarantee you there's going to be times in your life where you're going to need somebody around you with their collective faith that's going to get you to the feet of Jesus to get to your miracle. Number two is this. So first is collective faith. Number two is submitted faith. Submitted faith. I find it interesting. This is what Jesus says. In, in he says, saying, Father, if you're willing. This is prayer to God. Pray, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, everybody say, nevertheless. It's important you get that. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, like, God, like, God, like, listen. Like, I want this to happen, whatever's happening, to stop. Now, I pray that prayer. That's my size of faith. I'll give you an idea. So my faith, small faith, I was going to put Aaron faith, but I thought that would be weird, so I just put small. Small faith is, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. This, that's what I say. Does, that's how I pray. So like if I'm going through something, I'm like, God, stop it. You're awesome. I don't want to go through this anymore. Period. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, in his toughest moment, he says, Father, if you're willing, stop. I hate this. This is awful. Please, I don't want to go through this. But nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. Like, God, you're big enough to do anything. But even if you don't, it's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, remember that story? And he said, God, God's going to heal us and deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, you ain't going to win. I ain't going anywhere, God. I'm submitted to the way you want me to do things in my life. Now, that's interesting, that word submission. Submission is not agreement. Some people confuse that. God, I agree with you, therefore I'm going to submit. Wrong. Submission starts where agreement ends. You have to disagree with something to submit to it. So there are moments in life, I don't know if you're, let's just be transparent. Can we have a transparent moment? Group hug, transparent moment, okay? If you're a Christian... There are moments when you read the Bible that should rub you because they're not normal, especially when you compare them to the culture. And I find, find it interesting. Like, people are like, well, you know, I just, I can't follow. I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, well, we'd love to come to your church. It's like, great. Well, come on. But we can't. I said, okay, well, why not? Well, we don't agree with everything in the Bible. I said, oh, okay. I said, that don't make no sense to me. I said, have you ever read the Bible? They're like, well, you know, parts of it. I said, okay. Well, there's a lot of parts in the Bible that I don't always agree with. And I'm the, I'm the pastor. And they're like, well, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you say that? And I said, well, let me just give you an example. I said, the Bible says, for a husband to love his wife, 
as Christ loves the church, which is a sacrificial dying daily love. So if you're a husband in here, the best way to your wife's heart is to die daily so that God can resurrect you as a better man. That's free. That wasn't in my notes either. So there you go. But the Bible says to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And when I'm fighting with her and she's calling me names and I'm calling her name, and it's in the heat of the moment and it's emotional, the last thing I want to do is follow the scripture that says, love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm looking for other scriptures, like in the books you don't read, Haggai and you know Malachi and all those weird Leviticus. Ain't nobody read Leviticus. I'm looking for the part that says, husbands, give your wife the business. <laughs> I haven't found it yet. because I don't think it's in there, but, but I don't agree with that scripture at that time. However, I submit, nevertheless, not my will, God, your will. So I don't want to love this woman right now who's really, really crazy, and she's saying the same thing about me. I don't want to love that man right now. Last thing I want to do is respect him. Never, ever, 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 because he's a mouthy person. But when you submit, then all of a sudden, isn't it interesting? How when you, all of a sudden you start to live by God's standards and God's principles and God's ways, then all of a sudden his blessing follows after it. It's like saying all of a sudden, you know, oh, I'm in the kingdom, therefore I get access to kingdom blessings. If you don't do it God's way, don't expect God's blessing. So therefore, submitted faith goes, hey, where is it? So the question, okay, here's the question. Here's the introspective question. Where is it in your life that you don't necessarily agree with God, but you need to submit to anyway? Can we free ourselves from the idea that we need to fully agree to follow Jesus? Even the disciples didn't fully agree to follow Jesus. You want to know why? I can prove it to you. In the Bible, it literally says, after years of the disciples following Jesus, the Bible literally goes, and then they believed. And you're like, it's confusing because you go, what were you doing all the other years before? Why would you follow a man? Why? He was show, the Bible's showing us that you can bring your doubts, insecurities, fears about Christianity and God all to him, still follow him, and the closer you are to him, it's funny how all of a sudden you start to live like Jesus. It seems a little opposite to religion, isn't it? Because that's what the Pharisees said. Hey, if you're good enough, then God will love you. God came and said, I love you, so now you can be good enough. You don't have to earn it. And it frustrates religious people, makes them really mad. Because then they go, well, look at all the boxes I checked. And look at all the dots that I, on T's I crossed. I'm really, really good Christian. How's that going for you? Have, have you done enough yet to earn God's love? It's not what it's about. Submitted faith says, look, I'm going to do it God's way. So where is it do you need to submit? Maybe your finances. Makes no sense. The Bible says... Give, and it will be given to you. That makes no sense to any person who went through math class. But one of the greatest joys of me as a new pastor is to see people who've never given to a dime to the church give $5. Them call me and say, Pastor, you'll never believe what happened. I said, try me. Oh, man, we had somebody give us this, a car, and how, and we had people and money, and we got a raise out of nowhere, and we just gave. We didn't even really agree with giving, but we just did it because you told us to, and now it's amazing. And they're like, and I'm like, you're getting it. You're submitting. You're submitting. Not for me, not to me, to God on your behalf. It doesn't help God when you submit. It helps you. That's how good God is. All right, I'll get off of that because people don't like submission. All right, number three, unshakable. Unshakable faith. Verse goes on, says, when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Now, this isn't any of us, right? The people you brought closest into your life to walk you through the toughest moments never stabbed you in the back, right? You've never been betrayed. 
just Jesus. He's betrayed by the people who he brought to keep the person who was betraying him from betraying him. And you look at that and you kind of go like, God, well, I don't understand how. And so it, to me, circumstances, right? Small faith, circumstances determine my faith. What happens around me determines if I believe. But Jesus goes, actually, your faith determines what happens around you. He says, I believe anyway. It, look, it doesn't matter whether you came with me or you didn't. At the end of the day, I'm going to follow what God wants me to do. I'm unshakable. Circumstances don't move me left or right. There's a great story in Matthew chapter 14 with Peter. Peter's our, you know, token guy who does things wrong. Peter is on the water with Jesus. He looks out in the distance and sees Jesus walking on water. Now, we read those stories even as younger kids sometimes, and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But he's walking on water. Some people can barely walk on the ground. He's walking on water. And what's so cool is, like, Peter does what we would all do. Hey, that looks really cool, Jesus. Can I do it? And, P- and Jesus is, I think this is just the coolest thing about being a Christian. Christian, in, uh, Jesus invites you into doing some pretty neat things when you start walking with him. And so Jesus goes, yeah, Peter, come on. Again, Jesus said it, therefore you can do it. His faith combined with his faithfulness so that he could do miracles. He was walking on water doing a miracle. Jesus said it wasn't hope, it was faith. Jesus spoke it so he can bank on it. God is who he said he was, can do what he said he can do. And Peter walks out and starts walking on water and doing backflips and moonwalks and stuff. It's crazy. And then all of a sudden, Peter, what? The Bible says Peter starts looking around all the circumstances. Like he starts, oh my, there's wind, there's rain, there's problems, there's issues, there's not enough money in the bank, all the people are turned back on me, Facebook's talking ugly about me, my kids don't love me, all the things in my boss, my job, everything's up, I got a flat tire, Satan's after me, no, Satan ain't after you, you just ran over nail, and so the dog won't be quiet in your neighbor, and you're just freaking out, right, and so all the circumstances, and before you know it, what brought him onto the water, miracle, he turned his back in a moment, and only Jesus, right, this is Jesus, in the moment of your betrayal to him, he walks up and he says, and laughs. No, no, that's not what, he, he walks away from you because you betrayed him. No, no, no. He, he makes a, a mockery out of you and, and uses you as an example in a sermon illustration. No, 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 no. He walks up and he offers his hand in the midst of somebody turning his back on him. Side note, if you're in here and you feel like you've outsinned the grace of God, you haven't. Because even the person who saw Jesus at that moment and turned his back on him, Jesus still sticks his hand out. When you're done running, Jesus will be right behind you. And so Jesus walks up and he says, you, Peter, 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 you of little obedience. No, wait. You of little truth telling. Hey, you didn't go to church enough. No, he said, you of little. What's our word today? Oh, that's right. You of little faith, you didn't, you didn't agree with me. What are you doing? He sticks his hand out and says, don't let circumstances determine your faith. Just believe in what I said. And the last one is this. Maybe the most telling one of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, healing faith is the last one. You need to have healing faith to get to your miracle. And he says, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest again. You know who it was, is Peter. 
cut off his right ear, and Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched his ear, and he healed him. See, small faith, you've heard this in our culture, it says, small faith says, hurt people, hurt people. You ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you heard that before. What it says is, if you are hurt, you now have license to hurt others. You're okay, because you, you're hurt yourself. Jesus says, actually, if you want to get to your miracle, and you want to be a follower of me, hurt people, heal people. Because, again, let's go back to it. Jesus was in pain, was bleeding, was hurting, was being tried, tested, was being uh, hurt in every possible way. And yet, and yet, he reached out and healed someone. It could be those moments in your toughest trials where you reach out to help someone else that could actually bring about healing for your own life and get you to your miracle. I'm going to close with this thought. Um. I have twins, I have five-year-olds, uh, I have five, not five-year-olds, I have five kids. I have two nine-year-olds, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, they're all boys, and then a little brand-new baby boy. And uh, we're giving away our three-year-old. If anybody wants it, just come talk to me after service. <laughs> Don't judge me. I got five. It's just, I got, I got a lot. So um, my nine-year-olds last year got uh, report cards. And, the, you know, for, at least for their school, they don't have A's, B's, or C's. Or D's. They just have... Uh, uh, meets expectations or exceeds expectations, meets expectations, below expectations, and then, you know, like, try again, kind of, you know, <laughs> something's wrong. And uh, and uh, my boys, they, the twins, the nine-year-olds, they got a report card that said, uh, meets expectations. Now, I'm a dad. If you're a dad in here and if you're like me, I just want my kids to, like, rewrite, like, scholarly history. That's it. I want them to be so brilliant where they, like, get a report card that says, this, your kids are geniuses. They should be teaching the class. That's what I want from their report card. You know, and so it just said meets expectations. So I was mad, and I was fussing with my wife. That's what we call We say we fuss. We, you know, we're grumbling or whatever. We don't really have anything to say. We're just mad. We fuss. She goes, why are you fussing? I said, listen, my sons are, should be geniuses. I mean, Right. <laughs> she just laughed because she knows clearly that's not me. And so she, she said, do you remember, Aaron? I go, remember what? She goes, do you remember that when they were six weeks premature, they, they, we couldn't see them, we couldn't touch them because they were behind plexiglass for three weeks. Do you remember that? Kellen couldn't breathe, and we didn't know if he was going to make it. I was like, oh, yeah. Hey, do you remember when they were six months? And every time they cried, they would have seizures and they would ball up until they couldn't do it anymore and then take a breath and pass out. Every time they cried, six-month-old babies, both of them, took them to every professional, every specialist, couldn't figure it out, found out it was one in a billion disease or disorder that, that they had to just grow out of. They couldn't medicate it out. It just wasn't. So for, from six months to a year and a half, they, they would seize every time. I'm sorry if you're a parent. Oh, yeah. Hey, do you remember when Riley, at, when he was a year old, we, we found out his neck was like, muscles grew together because my, my, my wife's really small and she was twins and they didn't have a lot of room so his neck grew together and the only way the doctor said you can fix his neck muscles is you had to hold him down so my wife would on bed every night for a year a year old baby I'd have to hold my wife would hold down his hands his arms his whole body and then I'd grab his head and I'd have to stretch it for 20 minutes and you know there's babies that cry when they're whiny there are babies that cry when they're tired they cry have a certain cry when they're hungry there's a cry when they're in pain I could still 
can hear it, you know? And every night, I I remember that. She goes, you remember when there were three? And the doctors and all the professionals and all of the, 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 the people who were specialists, they said, hey, they're three and they're not talking like they should. They're not acting like they should. And they did all the tests and they're going to be behind. I remember the, the ladies sitting across the table saying, you need to prepare yourself. They're never going to be where they need to be. They're never going to be in the grade they need to be. They're never going to, they're never going to, to talk the way they need to talk or learn. You just need to prepare yourself right now. Just get ready for a lifetime of trial. I was like, I don't believe that, man. She goes, well, let me prove it to you. Come tomorrow. We'll put them in a class with a bunch of other their kids their age, and we'll sit them right in the middle, and you can look through the glass. They won't see you, but you can see them, and we'll show you. I said, okay. We go to the next day, and they sat them in the middle of that room, and they didn't talk like other kids. They didn't walk, walk like other kids. They didn't act like other kids. They didn't learn like other kids. Every fear a parent has came to pass that day. She looked at me in my, in my eyes and said, see told you. And then last year, I, uh, I got a card that said meets expectations. It might not mean a lot to you, but they're in the grade they need to be in. And they're exactly where they need to be. And guess what? They meet expectations. That's a miracle. I just walked through a few things they had to battle. That's a miracle. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I did everything right. But I remember when I was going through that, I needed some people around me to say, Aaron, don't worry, it's not the end. You're going to make it. Your kids are going to make it. Collective faith. Oh, and then there was times where I wanted to do some certain things with them my way, and I just had to believe God and do it God's way. Submitted faith. Oh, okay. And then there was times where I looked through that glass and saw all of the wind and all of the rain and all of the reasons why I shouldn't believe, but I did anyway, unshakable. And then, oh, and it was moments when I was in my deepest pain and hurt that I reached out to other families who were going through it and prayed for them and helped them get healing that, you know, what was so interesting brought healing to my own life. And it's no surprise to me that last year they get the miracle report card of meets expectations. And now they walk like they should. They talk like they should almost too much. And they're where they need to be, not because I'm good, but because God's good. If you need a miracle, maybe it's aligning your faith to be like Jesus that will get you to it. And I pray that's what happens for you in 2018. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, thank you that we have Jesus and thank you we have freedom. Thank you that we love you enough and that we believe you enough that you are good enough to get us to our miracle. And I pray that, God, maybe we would all walk out of here um, just a little adjusted, just a little, maybe our perspectives changed and shifted on this thing called faith. In Jesus' name, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, nobody moving in here, just for a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity for two people in here. If you're this first type of person, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've heard about having a relationship with him, but you've never done it. I want to give you an opportunity to do that before the end of the year, before we get into 2018. End right to start right. Or maybe you're a second type of person in here. Maybe you've already given your life to Jesus, but you need to rededicate your life. You need to, you need to come back to him. Maybe your faith has been shaken and Jesus is standing there behind you and you can turn around and meet him right now 
and change and align your faith with him and you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you're one of those two people. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time or you need to rededicate your life, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. We're not going to make you stand up or talk to anybody you don't know or embarrass you in any way. All you have to do is lift up your hand on the count of threes between you, me, and God if you're one of those two people. One, two, three, and just lift them up right now. Amen. Hands are going up all over this room, on the left, on the right, in the center. They're saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Any final people, just lift them up right now to say today is the day. Today is the day I live for him and him alone. You can lower your hands with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're all going to say this together. We're going to encourage everybody in here as a family, as a church family, for those who have taken their next step in Christ. For those of you who lifted your hands or maybe you said yes to Jesus in your heart, say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I recognize now that I'm a sinner and I need you. Help me, Lord, to live for you, to honor you, and to give you my all. It's from this day forward, I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise in this place. Come on, church.